The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Continue to worship God by hearing from His Word. The afternoon service, we've been going through the book of Proverbs, and we are in Proverbs 19 this afternoon. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Proverbs 19, looking at verses 1 through 14. Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19, verses 1 through 14. Proverbs 19, brothers and sisters, this is God's very word. Better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Wealth brings many friends, brings many new friends. But a poor man is deserted by his friend. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with his words, but he does not have them. Whoever gets sense loves his own soul, and he who keeps understanding will discover good. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over a princess. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew. On the grass. A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Well, this concludes the reading of God's word. May we now be pleased to add his blessing to it by the power of his spirit. Well, the world has its ideas about what makes somebody either a have or a have not. What I mean by that is somebody that is blessed and, and has it all and has the things that we would desire versus somebody who's a have not. This is not somebody I would want to be. This is somebody who is not blessed. I recently saw a video of Toby Keith, that favorite, that famous uh, country singer. Uh, they did a documentary of some sort. They went into his house. and Man, he had everything that you can imagine. And they were going to go drive somewhere. And he basically 
had to make a decision about which car to use to drive uh, to some spot. I saw some pictures of Shaquille O'Neal's yacht, uh, which is like a mansion on water. And people look at that and they call those people blessed. Those are the haves of society. Conversely, someone who is poor and barely making it, we would say something like, well, that person is down on his luck. That person's just unlucky. He would be a have-not in our society, not in an enviable position. However, Scripture would actually beg to differ. And we're going to look at five distinctions here of a have versus a have-not according to Scripture. And so the first is this, wealth versus poverty. In verse 1, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. So this is a comparison proverb. This is what we saw in Proverbs 17.1, where it said, better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. And obviously, a dried up piece of bread, a dry morsel, is far inferior than a feast, than this luxurious meal. However, it becomes inferior when there is strife rather than peace. This comparison shows that the great value is in peace over strife so that even a dry piece of bread is better than a feast at that point. Well, here we have a similar proverb. Even though being poor is far inferior to being rich, yet when it when it comes to integrity instead of having perverse speech and being a fool, it is better to be poor. Here we see that one of the characteristics of a fool is having perverse speech. This includes reviling. This includes deceitful speech, speaking evil, and speaking about evil in a praiseworthy manner. But this comparison in this verse highlights the value of having integrity, that is, of not being a hypocrite, of walking uprightly. Having moral uprightness is to be desired more than all of the earth's treasures, all of the earth's wealth. And this is important to keep in mind, especially what we go on to read, the way the world works. Verse 4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And then verse 6, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. And so this is just stating a general truth, the way things are in this world, without necessarily making a moral judgment. People love those who can bless them. Those who have much to offer, we're drawn towards. And so, people generally speaking, seek the favor of the one who has much to offer and is generous. Generally speaking, people love others for what they bring to them. And that's why verse 7 gives the other side of this. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. If fallen people love on the basis of what that person can bring them, then the opposite is true. If that person can't bring them anything, then they are not drawn towards that person, generally speaking, in this fallen world. 
his own flesh and blood, his brothers hate him. How much more his friends. The poor man will pursue them, but can only do so with words. That's all he has to offer. Pleadings and, and requests. However, he does not have them as companions. And what does this show us, beloved? This shows us what kind of friends we ought to be. We ought not to be the kind of friends that are only there for others, or only friends with others because of what they can offer us, rather than doing good to others, even when they don't have anything to offer to us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, this is the way unbelievers are. They love those who love them. They love those who have a lot to offer. Rather, we should be like the friends and brothers in Proverbs 17, 17, which says that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. After all, is is this not how the Lord has dealt with us? When we were poor in righteousness, He gave Himself for us. He gave us His very best, His own life. When we had nothing to offer Him but our sin. And we pursued the Lord. In reality, it was the Lord pursuing us. But we pursued the Lord only with words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And God answered us, forgiving all our sins, adopting us to His family freely and forever making us His beloved children, giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, giving us treasures beyond measure when we had nothing to offer. And He loves us at all times, no matter what. We fall into sin. We fail. We continue to fail Him. But He continues to love us regardless. And as a result, we should seek to emulate Him in being the kind of friend that loves at all times, even in adversity. In verse 10, It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury, much less for a slave to rule over princes. So for a fool to have luxury, for a fool to have riches, is not fitting. It is as fitting as a slave ruling over princes, which back in their day would go very contrary to the social structure. A fool will squander his wealth. He will not be a good steward of it. He will not use it to do good and bring glory to God with it. A second distinction of of a have versus a have not is wisdom versus folly. Verse 8. Whoever gets sense loves his own soul, and he who keeps understanding will discover good. So the Scripture says here that by getting wisdom, you love yourself. Not in a sinful, self-centered way, but in the natural way. Paul says in Ephesians 5, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That Jesus and the law of God calls us to love our neighbor as ourself. So this is in the natural sense of loving ourself. You want to love yourself? You want to discover good? Well, it's not by pursuing riches. It's by pursuing and having wisdom. As this verse says, whoever gets sense loves his soul. Whoever keeps understanding, that one will discover good. You want to discover good? Get wisdom. Get understanding. See, oftentimes we think that indulging in sin and foolishness is how we best love ourselves. You know, there was a witness testifying for the House Oversight Committee who said that the abortion she got 
was the best decision she has ever made and that it was an act of self-love. But as Proverbs 8.36 says, all who reject wisdom for folly and sin love death instead of their own soul. And so we read in verse 2, Desire without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. This could be translated as a soul without knowledge is not good. Knowledge is having understanding of the truth from earnestly seeking it and carefully considering it. Without knowledge, one is ignorant and therefore acts accordingly. And this, ver- and this is why this verse goes on to say, whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. Typically, rushing through things is not good. And why someone would rush through something is because they do so without knowledge. They do so without considering first. They do so without thinking through it. You know, none of us would say when out shooting or hunting, take a quick shot. No, rather take your time. Make sure you have a good resting spot. Get that scope dialed in. Taking your time is a good thing versus rushing through something. This is the way it is in life. We don't fall into the habit of just doing things without taking time to consider things. Asking for advice and counsel. Seeking the Lord in prayer. That doesn't mean that I need to spend an hour in prayer before I decide what shampoo to buy. Rather, it's the overall habit of one's life is not living rashly or based on one's impulses. Then verse 3, talking about a fool. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. So it is the man's own fault that is, he's facing consequences in his life for being so foolish. It's his own folly that's making him experience these negative consequences. But how does his heart respond? His heart responds by raging against the Lord, being angry at God. Why is this happening to me, God? I deserve better than this. Uh, we saw this from the very start, didn't we? Where Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit and they feel shame. And God comes into the garden. And what does Adam say? Well, God, the woman you gave to be with me, she made me eat. So from the very start, the unrepentant sinner blames God for his consequences, blames the people and circumstances that God has even sovereignly brought into his life rather than his own sin. But when somebody repents, rather than justifying himself, he justifies God. Psalm 51, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. This is not to say that every difficulty that comes our way is a result of something that we have done directly. However, we trust that whatever God brings our way in this sin-cursed world is being used somehow for our good. And so rather than rage against God, we heartily trust Him. The third distinctive of a have versus a have-not is we talk about a witness. Verse 5, a false witness will not go unpunished. 
and he who breathes out lies will not escape. In verse 9, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. So a witness back in that day was somebody who testified in court back in ancient Israel on the count of two or more witnesses, those charges would be established. And if it was a capital offense, it could cost somebody their life. And so false witnesses who conspired together uh, could get somebody killed. Now, a false witness who's lying may get away with it in the human court, but he will not get away with it before God. Both verses say that, God, that a false witness will not go unpunished. He will not get away with it. Verse 5 says he will not escape. And verse 9 says that he will perish. That's explaining what is meant by not escaping. In the face of the judgment of God and perish. The Revelation 21.8 says that all liars will have their place in the lake of fire. And so this is not merely somebody who's under oath in the court of law, but as our verse says here, somebody who breathes out lies. Somebody who is characterized as a liar. Somebody who pretends to be somebody when he is not, when he is a, a hypocrite. And I think things like that, we could see somebody who is a hypocrite get away with things for a while, and that could cause us to be incensed and cause us to believe the opposite of what the Word of God is saying here. He's going to get away with it. She's going to get away with it. But God promises here, you're not getting away with it. God sees all things, and God will address it. So we must be people of truth and integrity because this is what God has called us to be, and this is what God has saved us to be. Fourth distinctive of a have versus a have not is wrath versus restraint. Verse 11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. We've seen this previously in Proverbs, that it's wisdom that makes somebody control their anger. Proverbs 14.29 said, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. If someone is quick to anger, if somebody is given over to anger, if they're an angry person, if they grow bitter, it's not because they have a lack of good circumstances. It's because they have a lack of wisdom and understanding. The reason someone is patient, long-suffering, is able to go a while and endure much without blowing his fuse and not grow bitter is because he is a man of understanding, of good sense, our verse says. He has wisdom. That is what keeps us from losing our temper. That is what keeps us from exercising self-control. It's wisdom. It's understanding. It's what we have in Christ. This wisdom and understanding involves having a right view of sin, a right view of ourselves, a right view of God, a right view of the Gospel, a right view of justice. It's the one who knows that any sin done to him will be repaid justly by God who will by no means clear the guilty. The sinner who sins against us has a bigger problem to deal with than us. He has God to deal with. God Almighty who sees all things, who's perfectly just. And God will deal with His sin either by sending Him to hell for all of eternity or by Jesus as a substitute. By His Son being crushed in their place. You want to know whether or not God treats sin seriously? His own Son got crushed for it. 
That is what was needed in order for sins to be paid for and dealt with justly. God is not messing around. For believers who are in sin and who are sinning against us, God will discipline them. He also knows that whatever comes, we, all, we, we who have wisdom also know that whatever comes our way is for our good and nothing can ultimately harm us. It must be worked out for our good. Or Romans 8.28 is not true. That God works out all things for good. The one who loves Him. To the one who is called according to His purpose. The one who has wisdom knows that if God were not patient with Him, He would have been cast into hell a long time ago. If God was patient and long-suffering with us and instead sent His Son to stand condemned in our place because of His great love for us. And so, because the one who has wisdom knows God, who is slow to anger, He emulates Him in also being slow to anger. And the verse also says that it is the glory, it is His glory to overlook an offense. This word for glory literally means beautiful. It's something that's lovely, attractive, good, and desirable. But it sure doesn't feel like that, does it? When something evil's done to us, very undignifying, and then to overlook it feels even more undignified, as if it didn't even matter. How can it be beautiful? Well, the verse here says that it's actually beautiful to overlook an offense. It reveals an inner beauty and value that is expressed in this way. Now, there are some things that uh, can't be corruptly hidden or overlooked and need to be dealt with, like if a sin continues, a habit continues to affect a relationship or others, if it's a, if it's a matter that needs to be brought to the church in church's discipline, if it's a serious enough matter to have civil authorities involved or ecclesiastical authority, the church involved. But... It's not something that we bitterly dwell on. And if we are sinned against, and it's something that can be overlooked, it shows the person mercy and grace to overlook it. And that's actually a beautiful thing because it emulates who God is. It emulates His heart in showing us grace, in showing us mercy, and covering all our sins. And this is what the Lord has done for us in washing away our sins in the water of His Word. Now we go from people offending us to people being offended by us, particularly the king. Verse 12, A king's wrath is like the, the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. So again, in that day, the monarchy, the king had total power. If he didn't like you, off with your head, nobody can stop him. So it would be like meeting a growling lion, something way more powerful than you that has the power to instantly take your life, who is angry, hence growling, to meet him in his anger. But on the other hand, his favor is like dew on the grass, like a cool, pleasant morning that's refreshing and fulfilling. So is the king's favor. And if this is true of an earthly king, then how much more the king of kings and speaking about God's wrath, Amos 3.8 says, The lion has roared, who will not fear? God has the power to destroy our souls 
and bodies in hell. And there's absolutely no one who could even come close to stopping him. And we do deserve to have our souls destroyed in hell because of our sin. And so how sweet it is then to have the king's favor, to have his wrath satisfied by Christ laying down his life for us, to have him fully and forever pleased with us, to be for us, to be on our side and keeping us forever safe from all eternal judgment. And this favor was not won by us, by our will, by our good intentions, by our works. Rather, it was freely granted to us in Christ. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.9, God gave us His grace, His free and unmerited favor. When? Before the world began. It comes to us all who have believed in Him, who have turned from our sin and turned to Christ, trusting in Him alone to take away our sin. And it came at the cost of the roaring lion of Judah, becoming the Lamb who was slain for us and for our salvation. And now we forever have the dew of God's favor, which can never be taken away for us who believe, but is forever ours. In Christ Jesus. The fifth and final distinctive of a have versus a have not pertains to a wife. We now turn to the family life in verse 13. A foolish son is, is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a, is a continual dripping of rain. So we've already seen in Proverbs how a foolish son greatly affects his parents. Here the Spirit says, that a foolish son ruins his father. Uh, he can ruin many things by his sin and foolishness. The worst, perhaps, is to cause his reputation to be ruined. But the other major difficulty that can be faced is a quarrelsome wife. Uh, this is not a woman who has, as God says in 1 Peter 3, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in God's sight, regardless of, of married status. Uh, one who rests in God and her sufficiency is God Almighty and he, she trusts Him in all things. Uh, rather, this is uh, someone who's manipulative, needs to be in control, uh, is controlled by fear and weighed down with anxiety. Uh, she ends up leading and running the house with her fears and anger. This is someone who's self-willed. And so she does not seek to serve like our Lord has done but rather to be served. And again, this, this applies to men as well. Being self-willed. Looking to our own interests rather than to the interests of others. And this is said to be a constant dripping of rain. It's like a leak in a roof on a rainy day that constantly drips in the house. It's not a tsunami that suddenly wipes out the house, but rather little by little and constantly it deteriorates the home. The opposite is mentioned in verse 14. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Now, back in that day, uh, wealth in a house did, came, did come from uh, a father. It's like property being passed down from one generation to the next. However, a wife is not inherited from the family. Uh, rather, a wife, specifically a prudent wife, comes from the Lord. Uh, God has 
uh, providentially brought us, uh, our, our wife, uh, us men in here who are married, and He has sovereignly worked His grace in her so that she walks in wisdom. Uh, this is a good gift from the Lord, and us men need to recognize that as such and, and treat her with the, with the respect and value uh, that she has because she has been given to us from God. He's been given to us from the Lord. To despise her is to despise our Lord. She certainly is one of the greatest earthly blessings that we have received in this life. The first poem ever uttered was about one's wife when Adam exclaimed, This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So let us be thankful that while we may not be very wealthy, yet we are rich if we have found wisdom, if we have found the grace to be honest, have integrity, if we are not walking in hypocrisy, if we have been given wisdom and understanding, leading to self-control, being slow to anger, and if we have a prudent wife. But even though we may lack in some of these areas, if we have Christ, if we have Him, then we have it all. We have everything we will ever need. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we have Him as our treasure and as our great reward and our inheritance. And that is something that can never be taken away from us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks and we give you praise for your goodness and your kindness to us. We thank you for all the good gifts you've given to us. May we not despise you, the, the good gift giver. And we ask that we, you would help us to walk in wisdom and grace, that you would increase this wisdom. We are in desperate need of it, but we have it all in Christ. By your Spirit, continue to increase it in our walk. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.